Abba, Father, I just pray that we just come before you empty, that we just empty ourselves, that we quiet ourselves so that we can hear of you, so that you can refill us of the things of you. That we embody your spirit, your living Torah, in all that we do, in all of our ways, in all of our paths. And I ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So my message today is entitled, What Part of the Lulav? We have, we have visual aids today. The Lulav or the Etrog are you? Because it is Sukkot and I tend to center my comments around whatever Torah portion this is a holiday. Um, whenever I have an opportunity to speak. Um, so here we are. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. I was telling Whitley that, you know, Tuesday I was reading and I ran across an interesting article and I said, oh, Scott, let me send this to you. I think it's really interesting. And it's kind of telling him about it and what I thought was interesting. He's like, oh, well, maybe you should just speak. And I'm like, no, you're the rabbi. That's your job. <laughs> I just make things happen. It's your job. Well, apparently God had other ideas, because then he got sick and has a cold and can't talk without coughing. And then you, we would be here all day because he'd say a couple of words and cough and cough and cough, and then say a couple of words and cough and cough and cough. So anyway, so I kind of had a feeling it was coming. Um, so Tuesday, no, Thursday afternoon, um, got home, got my laptop, sat on the deck, and just started typing. And here we are with all my notes later. So I'm going to start with you today with a question for you. Or should I say questions? What do you pursue in your life? What's important to you? What defines you? And every holiday that we have kind of has a corresponding theme to it. Would you not agree? So what is the theme of Sukkot? Sukkot's theme it's called the season of our joy. It celebrates the clouds that God used as protection during the time in the desert. But why is Sukkot tied with joy? Wouldn't it really be more like a sense of relief that we got, you know, out of Egypt? Or really a sense of relief that we made it through the high holy days and survived? You know, the whole month of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, 10 days of awe, Yom Kippur, whoo, made it through the high holy days, right? Relief? You know, but, and what's joyful about being protected in the desert? Does that really seem to evoke a sense of joy? I can think of other emotions, relief, gratitude, but joy? Really? You know, what about Passover? I mean, we're celebrating freedom from slavery. I think that's kind of joyful. Shavuot, you know, that big, awe-inspiring on the mountain, God's voice, all the sounds. 
God's word. That's kind of joyful, right? But Sukkot? Surely, you know, those holidays are more worthy of joy than Sukkot. You know, like I said, we just come off this marathon. We've worked on ourselves all through the month of Elul. We've examined ourselves to see where we've gotten off track, where we've, you know, we haven't measured up. We've done our homework, or at least we're supposed to have done our homework, right? Remember those emails that I sent for 30 days? For the month of Elul, with all the little questions that had the homework on it? Yeah. Okay, you were supposed to do your homework. And there are a few of you around that get extra homework sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Because I assign it, I know. You know, and then we get Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. We've confessed our sins. We've resolved to change. We've made a, important commitments for this coming year. You know, and throughout these high holy days... We felt this intense closeness to God, you know, but in more of a solemn, intimidating manner. You know, Elul, the king's in the field in the beginning of the month, and we can approach him, but as the month goes on, he becomes more of the king. And, you know, you just don't approach the king because you might get your head cut off, right? So, you know, we know we failed him. We know we haven't been as good as we should have been this past year. We know that all those changes we made a year ago on Yom Kippur, we didn't make or because we made one step forward and three steps back and one step forward, maybe two steps back. Sometimes we make one step forward and stay, though. You know, sometimes we do do that. You know, so we, we fast. We spent the day in the synagogue. Actually, this year, we spent the day at home, part of the day in the synagogue, part of the day at home. But from the standpoint, we kind of cleaned our slates, you know, and, and we felt close to God in this process. But, you know, we really don't leave, we really shouldn't leave, I should say, Yom Kippur with a sense of relief from the standpoint of, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go back to my usual stupor and just forget about the whole darn thing, right? I'm done. You know, it's not one and done, guys. It's not like, okay, I've heard the shofar blown. Always amazes me how many people show up for Rosh Hashanah and not Yom Kippur. They do kind of go together, guys. They're both high holy days. You shouldn't just do one and forget one, but we won't go there. You know, I said the alchate. You know, I confessed my sins. I fasted. I made it through those 24 hours. I'm good now, right? Yeah, good. All right, bye. Got to go to work tomorrow. I'm done. No, that's not how it worked, guys. Because five days later, we got Sukkot barreling down at us, especially for those of us in the household that has to handle all the holiday preparations. We're just catching our breath, and we're ready to go again for Sukkot. You know, but what Sukkot wants us to do is take all that closeness, that awe, that fear, and transform it into love. And love is joyful. You know, we trust that Hashem's forgiven us, and he's granted us another chance. And we want to hold on to that closeness. We don't want to forget about it. We really don't want to forget about it. But not in that frightening way of judgment, but in that warm sense of dwelling with God. And you know, when we feel like we're lacking something, we're unhappy. And we're going to go searching for it. Right? And sometimes we're going to search for it in the wrong places and down the wrong path. 
Because we're trying to fill something inside of us that's missing. We may fill it with food. We may fill it with material possessions. We may fill it with drugs. We may fill it with alcohol. We may fill it with whatever. But we know we're lacking something, and we're unhappy, and we're trying to find happiness. But what Sukkot is telling us is that we can feel happiness, and we can feel complete when we dwell with Adonai. Okay, kind of as an analogy, this is my brain working, um, and this is Judy's brain, okay, so don't take it for anything except Judy's brain, okay? Elul is kind of like all the preparations leading up to a wedding. You got to go test the cake, and you got to find the photographer, and you got to find the dress, and you got to find this and that. And that. That's all the preparations, you know? So all of our getting ready for the high holidays is Elul. Then you got Rosh Hashanah, which is kind of like the rehearsal dinner. Yom Kippur is the marriage. Now, Sukkot is the wedding reception and the honeymoon, okay? It's the time to celebrate our love with our beloved and with everybody else, okay? Joy is a barometer by which we gauge how much love and how much care exists between two people. If there's a lot of love and a lot of joy, a lot of love and a lot of happiness, there's going to be a lot of joy. Joy's going to overflow. Why has this message keep popping all these songs? I'm going way, 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 way back to like vacation Bible school when I was a little one. What's that song? There's joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Yes. There's a few more song references in here too for some reason. Don't ask me why. So, Joy is going to overflow. It's going to bubble over, okay? So we've spent a month in a spirit of repentance, of returning to God, of trying to see where is all of these faulty things inside of me and what do I need to do to correct them? And our motivation hopefully for us as believers, is to have a closer relationship with Yeshua. Hold on one second. And that we're not motivated by the fear of being sealed in the book of death or not having a sweet year coming forward. So when we engage in the mitzvot of, of Sukkot, of coming here and you know, decorating the sukkah and fellowshipping with our family and waving the lulav and the etrog. We're showing God and ourselves that we've returned to him out of love, that we truly desire a relationship with him and we don't want to leave him. Sukkot's the time that where we take all of those commitments that we've worked on for the past 45 days, 40? 45? Yeah, 45 days. And we're going to solidify them in action and commitments. So, we go through Sukkot. But what do we do after Sukkot? We still need to keep the joyful. But how many of us feel joyful on a daily basis? So, let's define joyful. It is an adjective. We're having a little grammar lesson here. 
It's a feeling causing or exhibiting joy. Synonym, glad. Full of joy, very glad, feeling delight, exulting. Manifesting joy or rejoicing, arising from or expressing gladness, exultant. Now, I would hedge a bet that most of you would say you do not feel joyful on a daily basis. If you're really, if you're really, really honest with yourself, what do you feel? Fill in the blank. You feel stressed, angry, worried, anxious, neutral, blah, complacent, toasting. What you feel? Joyful is probably not at the top of your list, right? Mm, sure. Now, unlike the Israelites, sorry, I know I'm moving a lot, guys. I don't mean to make you seasick. I'll hold. Um, I do this. I move. Unlike the Israelites, when they were wandering in the desert, we're not confronting mortal enemies face-to-face every day. Right? But yet, we open our Internet browser, and we're confronted 24-7, 365, with news. We open Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whichever, whatever, Instagram, whatever you want to call it, or wherever you want to go. And all we see is news, more news, more bad news, more comments, more disagreements. And what does that do? It leaves us anxious. It leaves us afraid. doesn't really make us feel joyful, does it? So for all of our progress in this modern world, we really feel anxious and uncertain and really rare, 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 rarely joyful. Because we hear the news, we read the reports, we see these comments on Facebook, and we feel that overwhelming sense of pain and vulnerability. And we've lost touch with our Sukkot experience. We've lost touch with the reality of the Almighty's presence in our lives. Because we've allowed darkness and sabotage and evil to win. Okay? We literally have bad news 24-7. And we forget to appreciate the beauty of the world around us. We're too busy protecting our children to enjoy them. We're amassing money and building fortresses, combating fears instead of living our lives. We're hiding in our homes, afraid to leave. We're missing opportunities because we're afraid to change. Our patterns of anxiety and fear have become like old friends. They're that warm blanket we just put around us because that's what we're used to. We all have that desire for security and warmth, and we want to run back home. And guess what? We can. Because we can always run back to God. Because he's always there and he's never left us. Because you can always go back home. And that's what Sukkot tells us. Very interesting that most of you probably don't know, but, you know, we have song lists set up for for the music. And I usually pick them in advance. We're doing song list 21. We're doing song list 53. We're doing this song list, that song list, the other song list. So I had picked the song list for this a while back because um, I sent it to Cheryl so she knows so dances and Sarah so she can coordinate dances. And we, I was working with Kim and Caroline last week showing them how to put songs in. But I don't really remember what songs we're doing. Well, 
our second worship song, In the Shadow of Your Wings, I saw that and went, hmm, I guess God knew last week I was doing this message because I have the verse and the message. (laughs) So we're going to read Psalm 91, verses 2 through 4. I actually encourage you to go read. Okay, so it looked better on the screen back there. Maybe we should have done black. I don't know. Sorry about that. But I encourage you to actually go read the entire chapter. But it says, I will say of Adonai, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. He will rescue you from the hunter's trap and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is body armor and shield. So he wants you to feel secure beneath his touch. He wants us to be vulnerable, but only to him and his love, not to the ugliness of the surrounding world. So Coat reminds us that God is watching over us. He's still taking care of us, and he's still the father who really does know best. Joshua 1.9 says, Haven't I ordered you? Be strong, be bold, so don't be afraid or downhearted, because Adonai your God is with you wherever you go. So wherever we go, whatever we come in contact with the world, Adonai is there with us, even if we don't feel it. Matthew 28, 20 says, remember, I will be with you always. Yes, even until the end of the age. So every day, 24, 7, 365, he's always with us. There's nowhere we can go that we can escape God. So, Sukkot is about belonging to God, but it's also about connecting with our community. Because that's really what what life is. Life is about connecting. Because we don't live in a bubble. Sorry, I'm losing my thing here. But the question is, why are we so quick to try to establish barriers to separate ourselves from our neighbors, our workers, and our peers. Sukkot tells us that this is the time that we need to be with each other. We need to rub shoulders with each other. We need to leave behind the distractions of our home and the walls that separate us from each other. And we gather in a shelter under the open skies that's open enough for the whole world. And we gather around a table and realize that none of us are truly alone. Here's song reference number one. Like Barbara Streisand said in her song, People, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. We're children needing other children and yet letting our grown-up pride hide all the need inside, acting more like children than children. But first, be a person who needs people. Now, let me tell you, One of the worst things that has come about with this virus is the loneliness and the isolation that people are experiencing and that they're feeling. Depression and anxiety have more than tripled since this pandemic. Suicide ideation has increased. Nursing home residents are no longer thriving due to lack of contact. 
You clear your throat in public, or heaven forbid, sneeze or cough, and where people before wouldn't give you a second look, now you've got the side eye. You know, now you're trying to hold the cough in. You know, you're turning red in the face, and now they're really looking at you like, what the heck is wrong with you? You know, and now you can't even smile at anybody because you've got the mask on your face. You know, do you know that research shows that smiling can improve your health and help you live longer? Smiling can boost your mood when you're feeling blue and benefit people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, which everybody is struggling with right now. Okay? Neurotransmitters called endorphins are released when you smile, even a fake smile. Your brain doesn't know the difference. Okay? Smiling and laughing lowers your blood pressure. I'm glad I'm giving you reasons to laugh. And believe it or not, laughter, which often begins with a smile, appears to help boost your immune system. The Mayo Clinic reports that laughter and positive thoughts release molecules in your brain that fights stress and illnesses, which negative thoughts decrease your immunity. So smiling actually helps. That's what I used to love to do, go in the grocery store, see somebody looking down, and really give them a nice smile. You can't even do that anymore. But Sukkot reminds us that we're all one. There's another song that says, and I have to admit, I knew there was a song, but I had to Google it because it was like in the back recesses of my mind. It says, for, it was by Roy, or, thank you. It says, for it takes all kinds of people, it doesn't matter where they come from. It takes all kinds. And that is the story of our Lulav and our Ektron. I'm sure you guys were wondering, when the heck was she going to get to this, right? Aha, uh -huh. there's a method to my madness. Now, the four spices are noticeably different from each other, right? Let's see if I can do this. Ah, oh, here we go, kind of, sort of, right? They're different, right? They don't look alike. So just like we're all different from each other, I don't look like you, you don't look like me. I don't look like Harriet, Harriet doesn't look like me. Whitley doesn't look like David, David doesn't look like Whitley, which might be a good thing. We won't go there, right? But on Sukkot, we take all of these together. I know I'm not doing it right, so don't judge. Don't make comments on chat out there. I know I'm not doing it right. I'm not trying to do it right. I'm just trying to make a point here. But we gather them all together, and we wave them. We bind them together. We gather them. We bind them. We wave them together, reiterating the oneness of them all. Reiterating the oneness of us all. It teaches us that we are going to run across many different people in this life. Some we're going to click with right away. Some are going to rub us the wrong way. Some are going to challenge us. Some are going to have our back, while others are going to try to stab it. But there's all types, it takes all kinds. 
and we still have to deal with them because we are the lulav and the etrog. So let's examine these four elements. We have an etrog. See the etrog? Etrog. The etrog has a pleasant taste and a pleasant fragrance, if you were to slice it. No, we're not going to do that, okay? The date from which the lulav is taken has a pleasant taste but no fragrance. The myrtle, which I think is this. <laughs> I'm losing things here already. The myrtle, and Caroline, you can put these up. I kind of, okay, so go back one more. Go back to the etrog one. Okay, so, nope, keep going. Two more slides back. One more. Back there, okay. Okay, so etrog, pleasant taste and fragrance. Lulav, pleasant taste, no fragrance. Right, next slide. Myrtle, pleasant fragrance, no taste. Willow, neither fragrance nor taste. All right, so we're good? Sorry, kind of. We can put them back up later. Or you can have my notes. Well, maybe not. <laughs> so, each four all have different characteristics. But each four can also tell, give us important clues on relationships and how to relate to people. So, now, Caroline, let's go to the next one. The etrog represents individuals who have both Torah learning and good deeds. The lulav are individuals who have Torah but no good deeds. Okay, I'm going to quit picking these up because I don't want to keep losing leaves, but you guys can see them, all right? The myrtle represents individuals who have good deeds but do not have Torah. And the willow has no taste, no aroma. So do individuals who do not have Torah and do not have good deeds. So just like it takes all kinds to make a people, it also takes all kinds to make a person. And Sukkot is the time that we bond with each other, so maybe one person's quality rubs off on another person's qualities, and maybe it encourages us in our studies or our deeds or our whatever's to improve. So the Etrog says, well, I'm perfect. I balance learning and doing and flawless equilibrium in my life. Knowledge and action do not overwhelm each other or displace one another, but rather fulfill and complement each other. So who is the biblical equivalent of the Etrog? That's right. You saw it because it's up on the screen. See, you're laughing. There goes your stress and your blood pressure. Because Yeshua walked and taught in perfect faith with the Father, and he lived a life that exemplified kindness and Torah and compassion and service. So he is truly our ultimate etrog. We have a role model for the etrog. And we all know, we all need to know, that we possess the potential to refine our characters, 
to emulate Yeshua as much as possible. Now, the Lulav says, I'm utterly devoted to the pursuit of wisdom, awareness, and self-knowledge. Doing is also important, but my first priority is to know God and thereby my truest self, even if it means withdrawing from involvement with the world. Now, how many Yeshua believers fall in this category? How many of us claim to be followers of Yeshua and study the scriptures, but don't act out our faith in everyday lives? How many of us have God as my co-pilot bumper on sticker on our car, but still cut people off in traffic and curse out other motors? Uh, did we say tractor trailer back there, Whitley? Okay. Just checking. How many of you, when you're asked to do something for the kingdom that makes you uncomfortable or moves you out of your comfort zone, refuses to do it? Uh, Whitley turned around and walked out on that one, just saying. <laughs> okay, did you ever think that Rabbi, Rabbi Renee, or, at, or I ask you to do something because we believe in you and we believe you can do it? That we're providing you opportunities for you to use your gifts and talents that we see in you. That is because we see more in you than you see in yourself. And that we're pushing you to become a greater version of who you are. We're not just being mean, contrary to popular belief. How many of you don't serve doing a service because you want to be able to worship while everybody else serves? Oh, I've got to be able to hear the message. Oh, I've got to be able to participate in liturgy. Am I stepping on some toes? I hope so, because that was my intent. So, in the scriptures, who is the Lulav? Isaac. Isaac is portrayed as a man of great faith and spiritual merit, but little is said about Isaac's actions. In every story, Isaac plays a major part. Things are happening to him, not because of him. He wordlessly complies with his binding. His father sends a servant to find a wife for him, and he stays home. He's manipulated by his sons and his wife in his old age. And rather than take an active part in his own story, he remains a passive character just letting things happen around him. Yeshua, on the other hand, was decisive and proactive. I think turning over tables in the synagogue is pretty proactive, if you ask me. He sought out opportunities to live out his convictions, and the way he lived his life was a testimony to his faith. So if we are to follow Yeshua, we need to be active players in our own stories. So now we have the myrtle. What does the myrtle say? The myrtle says what our world needs is action, Knowledge of God and self-awareness are worthy goals, but I have a job to do. I have things to get done. I need to build a better world. Enlightenment will have to wait. Now, we all know that it is our mission in life to make the physical world a home for God. And there are times that there is a need for action. But it is entirely possible to do good without being good. Are you really a better person if you fund an orphanage but come home and treat your wife and your own family with contempt and disrespect? These Myrtle Branch believers may have a sweet smell, 
But anyone who gets close enough finds out that their taste is bitter. So who's the ultimate myrtle in scripture? See if you agree with me about Jonah. Because we just studied him on Yom Kippur. Hmm, did I get a little hmm about that one? Hmm. Now, Jonah, you might say, make by you the most successful prophet in all the Bible. Other prophets were met with scorn, persecution, saw their words fall on deaf ears. But Jonah's message to the Ninevites were met with a citywide call for repentance. He rescued an entire nation. Oh my gosh, if we were to judge a man solely on the good he's done, Jonah would be counted greatest among everybody. But there's always a but. Jonah's bush, the book of Jonah, actually is a cautionary tale. Because in spite of all his amazing gifts and talents, Jonah had a terrible attitude. He was a crotchety old goat, wasn't he? Especially when it comes to God. He scorned the task God gave him. He took no responsibility for the calamity that caused him to be inside the fish. He repeatedly claims and wishes for death. And he finally, grudgingly, begrudgingly, whatever you want to call it, does his job. His works are great. His faith, hmm, leaves a lot to be desired, if you ask me. He really disliked the plan that God had for him. And he really liked, I think, he really let anybody who would listen know he didn't like what God was doing. And he didn't like what he was having to do. But you know what? No one had a more bitter cup than Yeshua. Messiah knew his road led to death, but yet he went willingly and without complaint, even in the face of temptation for an easier road. Yeshua had faith in the Father's plan, and if we're to follow him, we need to have the courage to act, which means move out of your comfort zones, and watch your attitude in the process. Now we have the willow, the fourth attribute of our lulav and etrog. The willow says, I have nothing, I am nothing. And sadly, it seems the world is full of willow branches. I think you would be safe to say that indifference is the default setting for humanity nowadays. Individualism is valued over community. The pursuit for material gain is over compassion. Kind of reminds me of a popular saying, let go and let God. Well, yes, we're supposed to let go, and yes, we're supposed to let God. But there's more to that, right? So who is our, I'm missing a page. No wonder that didn't make sense. There we go. I'm really missing a page, you guys. Ah, here we go. Yes, I know my notes, but not that well. Here we go. Letting go and letting God, to me, is really kind of a cop-out. Because it kind of says, eh, I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back, do nothing, simply live, allow my circumstances to roll over us. 
you know, adopt a spiritual inertia. So who's the ultimate Willow Branch Award? I think it would be really easy to go with a traditional villain, wouldn't you say? Pharaoh, Haman, Herod. Wouldn't you say those are all easy topics, easy targets? But now, I don't think most Willow Branch people are inherently evil. I don't think they're all going to hell. I just think that they don't know how to be better than they are. Maybe they've never been given an opportunity to be anything but a plain, old, tasteless, odorless willow branch. Unlike here, where we try to make you be something other than a willow branch. So who in scripture is a willow branch but was given a chance? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' story is found in Luke 19. You can go and read it. He was a tax collector who was very much disliked in his community. He was considered a, a sinner, a collaborator, collaborator with Rome. He was truly a man in the biblical sense that had no good works to his name. But yet Yeshua walks by him, and Yeshua doesn't see a willow branch, does he? Yeshua sees a man who has the potential to become an etrog. Yeshua had every reason to ignore Zacchaeus, treat him as a lost cause, but yet Yeshua saw the good inside of him and called him to become more than he was. And by the end of the story, Zacchaeus has pledged himself to make restitution for his misdeeds and has continued to do good works for which he was made. And Yeshua proclaims that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus because his faith in Messiah to save that which has been lost. So my question to you today is what part of the Lulav and Ektrog do you identify with? If you're truly honest with yourself, are you balanced? Are you all talk, all action? Or are you just standing there afraid to move and shake the cart? I thought it was interesting, because I like to go on rabbit trails, that the etrog actually grows on a tree for an entire calendar year. So it's exposed to all the seasonal variations and the changes of climate. So not only does it have to withstand all of these influences, but it has to respond positively to them also. As you guys know, I've really gotten into growing with my tower garden, and I, I, can't, I can grow there, but I can't really grow anywhere else. But I can grow succulents too. So my succulents and my tower garden. So, you know, I'm kind of into, I'm, I'm kind of into growing. So I thought it was really interesting that it, it stays on the tree year-round, and it, you know, you've got the heat of the summer and the cold of the winter and the harsh rains and the winds and all of this, and it continues to grow, and it grows all year. So it's really a model for us. It tells us that we should always be in a learning, growing, acting, movement mode. No matter where you find yourself, 
Are you in the harsh winds? Are you in the heavy rains? Are you in the freezing temperatures? Are you in the humidity? Are you in the hot, dry heat of summer? You're supposed to flourish in all seasons. So the question is, do you keep drawing nourishment from that branch that you're attached to? Or do you drop off and drop to the ground and lie there rotting? Trust, faith, conviction all need to be firmly planted in us. And those are the tools from which we're going to grow. And if you're one of the species here that are afraid to ask, act, you need to ask yourself why. Is it because trust, faith, and conviction are lacking? Do you believe that God will always maintain full control of the situations around you? Do you just ignore an issue because the situation's too big or too difficult? Are you operating in denial? But in the end, when you were forced to address the situation, you found that it was actually manageable? God says in Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Scripture is full of examples of when the Lord said he would do a thing and he did it. It's not a name it, claim it. He parted the Red Sea. He sent Messiah. He did things that were his plan, not our plan. Our faith gets tested during tough seasons, and tough climates. But do our words and our actions reveal that attitude of trust? So you're presented with a choice in the tough seasons, in the harsh winds, in the humidity, when the little gnats are flying around your face. Welcome to my world of horse shows. You're presented with a choice. You can grow through it, or you can shrivel up and die and rot. Now, in closing, ooh, I was actually short today, guys. We can take comfort in the knowledge that no matter where we are in our faith walk, whether we're strong in works or faith or neither or all, Yeshua is always calling us. And he's always giving us an opportunity to be more than what we are today. And with Messiah's help, anyone can change their species. Anyone. Of which of the species you are? Which one do you really feel like represents you? Are you the etrog? Are you the lulav, the myrtle, the willow? You know, and I think sometimes in our faith walk, we're one or we're the other. We move between them, and that's, that's fine. That's life. Because we're all growing. We're all becoming. 
But my question to you today is, do you need to make a change? And are you willing to make that change? And the first change that needs to be made is, do you have a belief in Messiah Yeshua? Is that firmly planted in your heart? It can't be in your brain. It's got to be in your heart. You've got to connect. Do you have that firm belief that Messiah Yeshua is the Messiah? And if you don't, do you want to make that decision today? And if you want to do that today, all we ask is you just raise your hand and we'll pray a prayer with you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? And while we're talking about accepting and change, do you need to change? Do you need more of Yeshua in your life? He's calling. He's always there. He never leaves. He's just waiting for us. The opportunities there for growth, for closeness. Because the Abba Father wants us to exchange that blanket of fear and anxiety and to clothe ourselves with his love and to be embraced in the sukkah with him. We can all stand right now, and we're going to. Pray with our individual who wants to make a profession of Messiah today. And then if you want to just kind of recommit today, say the words. As you say the words, we're going to say them all together. Just commit it in your heart. So if I'll say it, you guys follow along. Abba Father. I profess today that Yeshua is the Messiah. I accept him as my Messiah, and I give him authority over my life. I thank him for his atoning work and believe in him today and, and confess him before my peers. In Yeshua's name. Amen. And I'm not the one that usually does this around here, so we may be a little awkward. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you'll just come up, shake my hand. If you're willing to come up. If you don't want to, you don't have to. What is your name, sir? Caesar. Caesar? Are you Caesar?
I saw, yes, okay. Got it. You're, I saw an email come through. That's why I, I'm the administrator. I see the names, so that's when I put things together. Got it, okay.